Rob, Mark. <laughs> How many times have I been uh, confused as with Kathy's husband? Um, <laughs> lead conference in particular was quite quite the event, wasn't it? Um, yes. <laughs> um, look, Kathy, I really struggled because our sermon series takes me to this sermon this morning. And I thought, how can I preach this sermon when it's your farewell? But then I thought, actually, this fits because you are the embodiment of what I'm going to be preaching this morning. When I first came here in our first year here, Kathy and I were confronted with some pretty difficult conflict. Um, some people in church felt it was okay to, 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 to say things about us that in any other place would not have been acceptable. And the way she managed that, I was furious, you know, I'm Italian, I'm emotional, it's all got to come out, right? But she just quietly sat back and took the punches. And it was amazing just to see how she worked through that. Many, many times since then as well. So this, yes, actually this, this is the embodiment of what it means to be a person called by Jesus Christ. So let's get into it. Defining me, I'm talking about rights this morning, but I'm not talking about human rights. I'm talking about Christian rights. And there is a difference. This week, uh, this is Raniera Blake. Uh, if you were uh, on Stuff this week, he was interviewed by one of the Stuff um, journalists and talking about his views about uh, you know, the jab and, and whether he was... Um, you know, vaccinated or not, but he made this really interesting comment. He said this, I'm not anti-vaxxer, Tefano. I'm just, I just don't like getting told what to do, let alone people telling me to bloody get a jab or something shoved in my arm. And it was refreshingly honest. I read it and I smiled, and you, you got, you, it's a video of him talking, and I was, I was laughing all the way through it because it was refreshing to hear someone being honest. And anything about the fact that I've got a problem with authority. How many Christians can say they've got a problem with authority? Just see the way you react to pastors. We have a problem with authority and we're not really happy about it, so we try to coax it in more theological or Christianese terms. And a lot of it stems from our need or want to exert our rights as Christians. We want to exert ourselves, protect ourselves, whatever it might be. But the challenge we're faced with is this. If you call yourself a Christian, you give up your rights. This great verse in Romans chapter 13, um, it's been interpreted many, many, many different ways but it says this, it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, let me, let me make this really clear. There are very different views on this one verse, but one thing that a lot of people don't actually stop and think about is the context of this verse. Paul is writing to who? The church in Rome. Of all the churches he chooses to say this to, 
he chooses to say it to Rome, the seat of the most oppressive government in the world at that time. He doesn't say it to the guys in Corinth or to the guys in Philippi. He says it to the Romans. Now, I'd imagine that the Romans themselves, the Roman Christians, are struggling. They're in a very hostile environment. You imagine us today, if we get a a letter from the Christians in China saying, hey, we're being oppressed, we're being marginalized and minimalized, and we wrote that back. How would, you wouldn't do that, would you? (laughs) Of all the churches to write that, he chose to do it to Rome. There's this great book, and I've given you a number of books to to read over this course of the series, but this one's called the, per- the Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Alan Crider does a great job of just talking through the first 300 years of Christianity and how different it is to the Christianity we see today in so many ways. He says this, the early church relied more on the actions of their life to preach their faith rather than their words. In a world with a crushing government such as the Roman Empire, Christianity flourished because of the habit of their lives. Someone was really upset with me this week because I said, I don't like apologetics. That I always bag on apologetics. This is actually one of the reasons why I do. Because we use so many words, but our lives don't reflect the words that we say. Ravi Zacharias is a great example of one of the greatest apologists that we've had in, in the last 50 years. And his life did not reflect a word of what he defended. Don't put so much faith in trying to defend the faith. Put a lot more effort in how you live your lives. Uh, James goes on to say, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. You can defend faith as much as you want if you're not living the life. Going on in his book, this, the early, church, the early Christians believed, was God's work, not theirs. So they did not engage in frantic action to save those who were not baptized. Instead, they entrusted the outsiders to God. The church patiently also entrusted itself to God. Going on, quoting from Clement, one of the early church fathers, he said this, according to Clement, when the Christians talked about loving your enemies, their neighbors had been interested. But when they found that the Christians didn't do what they said, they dismissed Christianity as a myth and a delusion. From Clement's perspective, Christians had to embody the message if the churches were to grow, which is really interesting if you talk about a first century church leader like Clement, who's concerned about church growth, and he's telling us, don't worry about going out and preaching the gospel, live the gospel. That's how churches grow. The challenge that we have in now day and age, last 50 years, is that I think we've spent way too much time getting out there and fighting for our Christian rights and far less time living it and sharing it. And I think the church is paying for that. We're a church in decline, not just our such city. The church is in decline. And yet, in the places of the world where a voice cannot be heard, the church grows. China, Iran, 
parts of the Middle East. How is it? In Romans 15, this is two chapters after he's, he's just told them about the government. He says this, he says, we who are strong, those who are strong, not physically, those who are strong spiritually, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. There's a great book uh, by a guy who, the book's called Christians, The Way the Romans Saw Them. And we've got a, a plethora of ancient literature from the Romans, a lot has survived to this day. And a lot of them talk about this growing movement in Rome of these Christians. And they're not very pleasant writings. They keep to themselves, they do strange things, they don't understand our language, they eat bodies and drink blood. But they're intrigued because the one thing these people seem to do is they care about us even though they have no right to care for us. Livius writes that. It's amazing. And he says here to the Romans, look, just keep doing good. And people will see that and they'll want to know what is going on with you. How is it that you are different? And so when the world is filled with fear, we replace that fear with hope. When the world is divided, we fill the gap by uniting. How many times did you have to do that, Kathy? <laughs> How many times? In Matthew, Jesus takes it even a step, I mean, he takes it far. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He's telling you, you've got to give your all. Whatever you are, whoever you are, you are mine. You must deny yourself to follow me. Paul says it in this way. Oh, Luke, again, sorry. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. These are challenging words. And when we're fighting for our rights, how does this word relate to that? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Paul jumps on this bandwagon. And I can quote you verse after verse after verse. <laughs> it's interesting. We talked about sexuality two weeks ago, but there's really just three areas in the New Testament that talk about homosexuality and there's about 300 about putting others first that's not to say the issue around homosexuality is minimalized because of it I'm not saying that but what I'm saying is I think God's just trying to make a bigger point by saying this we, we have to put others first and we have to help each other put others first not just me telling you, but you need to tell me as well. That's how we edify and grow each other. Genesis, uh, Galatians, sorry, chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. This is the message version. I shared with this last week, but 
I want to share it again. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? And this speaks into our world today. Where are we standing in this gap? Where the world is biting and ravaging each other over what? A vaccine? Aren't there bigger things in this world to be more worried about? Is this what we split on? We need to stand in the gap. And that's not to minimize those who feel that they don't want to have the vaccine. I'm annoyed at what the government's doing. I'll be honest with you. They're putting me in a very bad place. I don't want to say no to somebody coming into our church. What, for a vaccine? I'll take the COVID. And I know I say that for myself. But where and when do we stand in the gap? Where are people who give everything because Christ gave everything? This is um, Martin Luther wrote this comment, which is amazing. He says, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to no one. And a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. In his book, um, The Myth of a Christian Nation, Gregory Boyd says this, when did Jesus ever concern himself with protecting his rights or the rights of the community he was founding? Did he not rather do the exact opposite and teach us the same? Jeremy Myers, in his book, Dying to Religion and Empire, he says this, he had more right to these rights than we ever will, but he gave them up all for the sake of his mission to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven. If we are going to follow Jesus in helping his kingdom advance, we too must give up our rights and follow where he leads. I'm not defined by my rights. I'm not defined by my politics. I'm not defined by my sexuality. I'm defined by Jesus. And that's where we stand. And Kathy, you have showed us that. <laughs> to me, every day, and you know how often I would come in and you just, to me, define Jesus every day. Our challenge is how do we live out our mandate of being Christians to a world in need of Jesus? How do we do that? This is our challenge. And I can't wait till we have regular services so I can end on a song because it's really hard to end on a sermon. It really is. It's like, amen. See you next week. Right? Uh, let us pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us and how he has given up everything for us, Lord. How do we do that, Lord? I don't know. Sometimes it's difficult, Father, because, hey, you know, we do need to stand up for ourselves at times. But how can we do that in a way that honors you, Lord, that puts you 
Help us to stop defending you and spend more time sharing you. Help us. We are your people. We are your children, Lord. For a world that is suffering, that is struggling, that doesn't feel like there's much hope out there, we have it. We have this hope. Help us to share it, Lord. Selflessly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, gorgeous. Philippines again. I woke up thinking about that the other night. And then I spoke to my mum yesterday. And then you brought it up now. I had the second vaccination last Friday. And I've been really battling to get through this week I'm not saying don't have it and I'm not saying have it but Rob I'm with you with opening the doors to everyone I'm not someone that gets up here and speaks out loud do you know that but don't be anxious Put your trust in the Lord and be defined by Him. And I hope I've made sense. And I just ask that you'll just pray. For those that are battling to make the decision, please listen to that inner voice, which I truly believe is the Holy Spirit. And if that voice is saying, do it, then do it. If it's saying, don't, then don't. Thanks. Father God, I just want to lift up Jane to you, Lord. Thank you for her heart and all that you've done in her life. But I pray right now, Lord, I pray for healing in her. As she said, Lord, for those who are struggling, Lord, we pray for them, whether to do or not to, Father, that you might reign in their lives above all things. And the Holy Spirit, cover Jane. Watch over her, Lord. We all together pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody here said, Amen. Amen. morning everyone um sorry the jacket had to come off Kathy sorry <laughs> um for for the benefit of 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 everyone here as I said in the first service I kind of struggled about how do I continue this series on a Sunday like today where you know I wanted to to spend some point in in just acknowledging 
what Kathy has done for us. And actually, after I finished the sermon, I thought, actually, this is Kathy embodied. Um, so, you know, when we first started, when I first started here, it was almost like we're thrown in the deep end. There was just a lot of conflict going along. There was a lot of personal um, things happening. And, you know, I'm Italian, and I know I wear my emotions on a sleeve, and I, I know that about me, but there was Kathy just embodying Christ to me in such a way. And I don't think you realize how difficult it is um, being a pastor in a church because people act in a way they wouldn't act normally. They treat you in a way they don't want to be treated. And it can be deeply personal at times. You can't help it. But seeing how Kathy had handled it for so long, it was amazing. And a lot of what I'll be preaching this morning is just around actually having that heart. The heart for what we are called as Christians to be. Selfless. Uh, this week, in, um, uh, in, in stuff.co.nz, uh, you know, the news, uh, they had this uh, interview, this really simple interview, had me in tears. It was so funny. Um, this is Raniera uh, Blake, and he was just talking about why he was kind of opposed to the vaccination. And, you know, there's been a lot of things hot under the collar about this, but this guy was really funny. But he made a really valid point. Um, and it was just refreshing to hear his honesty. He said this, I'm not anti-vax, Stefano. I just don't like being told what to do, let alone people telling me to get, uh, telling me to bloody get a jab or get something shoved in my arm. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Because deep down, I know, like for a lot of Christians, it's not a problem of the jab itself. It's a problem of authority. I've heard other people tell me, Christians tell me, that their authority comes from God. That's who we submit to ourselves, not to the government. And I thought, oh, what does that tell the world? But actually, what does that tell about us? It's good and refreshing to hear honesty. I don't know whether the jab is good or not, but I just don't like being told what to do. Amen, I get you, because I'm the same, right? Who's not like that? Interestingly, in this sermon, uh, I have it down as rights, as the topic. And people have talked to me during the week, asking me, oh, are you going to be talking about human rights? Actually, I'm not. I'm going to be talking about Christian rights. Something that has really come to the fore, maybe in the last 50 years. As society has changed, we have kind of dug our heels in. Uh, human rights, I think, shouldn't be a sermon. I think that should be part of our DNA as Christians. But Christian rights is an interesting topic to start with. What does that mean for us? How do we handle when we feel the world around us is changing and we're being left behind? Paul opens up with this verse in chapter 13 of Romans. And look, it's been interpreted in many different ways, but let's just take a look at it. It says this, Let everyone be subject to the government authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, I've got to say, there are very, I mean, on all sides, there are interpretations around this verse. But a lot of the commentary I read negate one simple thing about this. Who is Paul writing to? The church in Rome. Where the seat of the Roman emperor sits. 
of all the letters that Paul writes, he chooses to write this to the Romans, not to the Philippians, not to the Corinthians, not to those in Jerusalem, to the Romans. And I can imagine what the scenario was like. Hey, you know, we're living in a very difficult city. Paul, what, what do we do? Can you imagine today if the Chinese Christians wrote us a letter saying, hey, we're oppressed, we're marginalized, we're minimalized. Would you write that back to them? We wouldn't. It's a tough word. It's a tough word to a tough crowd, a crowd that's living under the thumb of an oppressive government. At the time, Paul wrote Romans around 55 to 58 AD, smack dab in the middle of an emperor called Nero, which would take Paul's life a couple of years down the track. Just to, if you want to think that it's the same as today, it's not. It's a great book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Crider. He, he, he writes um, uh, uh, using uh, letters from other Christians in that time period, in that first to the third century AD, this early church, and, and just kind of comes up with these, you know, this is how the church worked, which he concludes was very different to the way we work today. He makes these comments. He says, the early church relied more on the actions of their life to preach their faith rather than their words. In a world with a crushing government such as the Roman Empire, Christianity flourished because of the habit of their lives. And, you know, someone kind of got down on me during the week just saying, oh, you're always bagging apologetics, but I love apologetics. I'm like, I don't dislike apologetics. I, I like it too. But actually, that, that's not a means to convert people. We're using our words and we're not sharing our lives. And in fact, words really can be a problem. Our greatest apologist of the last 50 years, he who was a great apologetics teacher, but really didn't share, show the love of Christ in his life. And James, it, it warns us, it says, hey, those who consider themselves religious and you know, do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. going on in his book he says this to this the early christians believed was god's work not theirs so they did not engage in frantic action to save those who were not baptized instead they entrusted the outsiders to god and the church patiently also entrusted itself to god one of quoting one of the early church fathers who wrote quite a bit in those first in that first century clement he says according to clement when the christians talked about loving your enemies their neighbors had been interested but when they found that the christians didn't do what they said they dismissed christianity as a myth and a delusion from clement's perspective the christians had to embody the message if the churches were to grow and it's interesting when you talk about church growth strategies in the 21st century the church growth strategy of the first century was to live out your faith right there was no strategy other than to live out your faith and this is what clement was telling the churches we need to embody our message if we want to grow if we want to see people coming to christ they need to see christ reflected in us by what we do not just what we say 
Um, interestingly enough, just two chapters after Paul in his letter to the Romans and saying about you know, government and, and so on, he writes this, he says, we who are strong, that is not just strong physically, but strong spiritually. He says, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's a challenge. After you, 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 there's another book. Uh, uh, I can't remember the author's name, but the book's called Christians as the Romans Saw Them. And we have a wealth of literature from, from Roman times. There's quite a lot. And there's a lot of writings from Romans themselves. And you can see how they are thinking about this new group that's forming in Rome and their views around what they're about. And, and there's some funny things about it because they don't understand our language, for example. There's one author that, that kind of thinks these people, they're eating bodies and drinking blood. What's going on with this cult? You know, thinking that we're radical because they don't understand the language. But in all their writings, there's this thing that pops out that even though we most probably don't deserve it they seem to just care for us they care for their neighbours what strange thing of course they're suspicious just as we would be suspicious today if people were overly uh, caring for us wouldn't they right if you see someone who's too caring you're thinking okay there's something weird going on here which is kind of weird though right they were thinking that back in the first century these people are a little too caring there's something wrong with them They didn't have the opportunity in Rome to just speak out at times. But they had all the opportunity to share how to live a Christian life. I think some of the problems we're faced with is by exerting our rights, it it, it substitutes us sharing our faith. We entrench ourselves and it's difficult when you slap somebody down to then share the love of God with them. It really is. Jesus just gives us this really hard word. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. To be a Christian means to give up your rights. We are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. It gets even harder. He says in Luke chapter 14, the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And he doesn't just say it, he acts it out when the rich man comes to him and says, what do I need to do? Sell everything and follow me. And the guy can't do it. So he's not just saying words, he's asking it. That's a tough word. It's a hard word. How do we live out our lives in a world that can be quite hostile? How do we hold on to our faith if we don't stand up for what we believe in? Philippians, Paul jumps on the bandwagon. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, not just loving people like yourself. He's saying value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In Galatians chapter 5, 
I used this last week, but this is the message version from verses 13 to 15. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence, love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be annihilating each other and where will your precious freedom be then? In a world that we're in today, where we're all kind of biting and ravaging each other, one side, I mean, do we really split over vaccine? Really? Is that, is that the hill we're all going to die on? Why aren't we standing in the gap? Why aren't we helping people on both sides? A good Christian friend of mine is lead, was leading the, the protest yesterday and I said to him, you are punishing people because you're not getting your way. And believe me, driving at 20 kilometres an hour, we'll be punishing people. Amen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to your precious freedom? You're just going to get everybody agitated, upset, anxiety. We have something this world does not have. It's called hope. Hope. Why aren't we the first ones out there to share that hope? Look, believe me, I was sharing this earlier. I'm annoyed that the government's put me in a bad position to have to decide who comes to church or not. Really, are there a vaccine? Now, if someone's wearing a Nazi uniform, I can understand. But a vaccine? Really? Sure, I, I get it. I do, I really do. But my job is to stand in the gap. Our job is to stand in the gap. How do we bring the love of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ, to a people in desperate need of hope. It's interesting, Martin Luther made this comment, he says, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none, and a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. In his book, The Myth of a Christian Nation, Gregory Boyd says this, he says, when did Jesus ever concern himself with protecting his rights or the rights of the community he was founding? Did he not rather do the exact opposite and teach us to do the same? Jeremy Myers, in his book, Dying to Religion and Empire, says this, he had more right to these rights than we ever will, but he gave them all up for the sake of his mission to inaugurate the kingdom of earth, heaven on earth. If we are going to follow Jesus in helping his kingdom advance, we too must give up our rights and follow where he leads. And that's really challenging. Really challenging. It's not easy to step back and trust that God's got this. It's not easy to step back and say, I don't need to defend God. God actually can defend himself far better than I can. But what about our lives and how we live? Should we not speak up? Well, praise God, we live in a society that allows us to speak up. I'm not saying don't speak up. In fact, I think it's a responsibility for us to speak up. 
But that is secondary to God's mission here. It is secondary to what he has actually called us to do, and that is share the light. Jesus Christ, to those in darkness, as Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to bring a light in a darkened world. Food for the poor. Love for the loveless. I am not defined by my politics, by my rights. I'm not defined by my politics. I'm not defined by my sexuality. I am defined by Jesus. And the challenge we have today is how do we live out our calling as followers of Jesus Christ? How do we live out that calling? I'm not defined by anything else but Jesus. I was saying to the earlier service, it really is awkward at the end of a sermon like that not to have the worship team come up and lead us in music. And then I just say, Amen, and you can go home now. It is a challenging word for us. I'm not talking about um, how do we face the current crises. I'm challenging you to face Jesus. How are you living out your mandate, his mandate for you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for our sister Kathy, who in her whole time that I've known her here has done nothing but put you first, Lord. In times in which I could argue for her, she's always put you first, Lord. Help us to be more like you to the world around us who only see division, who only see disunity, who only see differing views rather than seeing hope for a future, hope for their lives, something bigger than just what is happening in the Monday. We are your children, Lord. Help us to share your love and your witness to the people around us. Not get caught into these issues that so divide. But let us be a people who can stand in the gap. And what does that look like? I don't know, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to show us that. Show us what it means to stand in the gap. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Uh, Have an awesome week.